Evening, folks. It's really good to see you. Thank you, Alice. A catastrophic historical event. Love that thought. Uh, thank you. Can I just say thank you before I begin to those who have been praying just about our house move and all. We finally got moved on Thursday. Real answer to prayer. So thank you for all your kind thoughts and words and prayers at this time. Years ago, someone said that prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. And so for the past seven weeks, we have attempted to walk through one particular prayer. A prayer so beautifully simple that most of us, I guarantee, know it off by heart. Learned it as kids. But not only is it beautifully simple, it's so stunningly profound that we should and must never stop saying it. We must never stop praying it. If, uh, if I was to give you an envelope and uh, I asked you to write out a summary of the Christian faith on the back of it, okay, what would you scribble down or what would you draw? Well, apparently Rowan Williams, uh, the current Archbishop of Canterbury, was asked about this not that long ago. And in response, he said this. If someone said, give me a summary of the Christian faith on the back of an envelope, the best thing to do would be to write our Lord's Prayer. And I know if you've been following our series in Joshua, I said recently that Joshua 22, and I think it's verse 5, is a summary of the Christian faith. Well, here according to Rowan Williams, is another great summary of the Christian faith, the Lord's Prayer. And whenever the disciples of Jesus asked Jesus for help in praying, and I'm sure many of us here, and we've said this throughout this series, echo that sense of need. Jesus, we need help in our prayers. No matter how long we've been Christians, my experience is that many people continually struggle with this discipline, this holy habit. And therefore constantly need to return to Jesus time and time again and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. But whenever the disciples first asked Jesus for help in prayer, he gave them 57 words, or at least 57 words in the original Greek text. Words and phrases and petitions that have the potential to guide us and influence us and transform our very lives. That's what we've really been trying to say throughout this series. And tonight, as Alice has said, I want to finish our series on the Lord's Prayer. And what I want to do, just on this final note, I want to retrace our steps a little. I want to re-emphasize and revisit some of the key points. And the importance of, we said, is not only a model prayer, but it's also a pattern for prayer. So it's a prayer that we can pray word for word. And I know many people have been doing that during these past seven or eight weeks as we have gone through this series. But it's also a pattern for prayer. In other words, it's a flexible outline to inspire our prayers. That as we go through each of the petitions, we use those as sort of springboards in order to pray into other situations. So whenever we say things like, give us this day our daily bread, we ask God for certain things. We pray that he would continue to meet our needs physically and spiritually and emotionally. Incidentally, as I was preparing for this evening, I came across this fact that during the second century, a Christian handbook, a sort of discipleship manual was produced by the early church that recommended that every Christian should pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. 
I'm going to come back to that at, at the end. So it's a model prayer. It's a pattern for prayer. But we better revision now. Can anyone remember or recall the three words that we used to describe this prayer right at the beginning of the series? And I've given you the first letter of each word. Okay? So three words to describe this prayer. Okay? Anyone at all? Even one of the words. <laughs> Timeless is the first one, yep. P. Okay, perfect. And R for radical. In other words, this was and is a timeless prayer. It was given to the first disciples, but it's also given to every single one of us who followed in their footsteps. There's no use by date on this prayer. This prayer is constantly relevant. It's a prayer we should use all the time. We also said that it was this perfect prayer for imperfect people. Because as imperfect people, I think we often do, and I've said this, but we struggle to know what should we actually pray for? What should we be praying about? And in this perfect prayer, we have a blueprint. We have a guide. When we pray this prayer, we know we're praying for the right things. And then it's a radical prayer. Radical in what we're actually praying for. We're praying that God's character would be respected. Hallowed be your name. We're praying that the hungry would be fed. We're praying that forgiveness would characterize all human relationships. And the reason it's radical is that's not how the world operates. We don't live in a world and in a society that respects the character of God. We don't live in a world where all the hungry are fed. We don't live in a world where people forgive. We live in a world where people hold grudges. Where people retain bitterness. And so to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin again, that's radical. That's radical. That's counter-cultural. But I want to add another description this evening. Because it's not only timeless, not only perfect, not only radical. It's also a gift. This prayer is a present that's been given to us by Jesus. Given to unwrap and to enjoy. And it's a gift with various components. And what I'd like to do is just look at four of those components of this gift. Just as a way of summarizing where we have been. And I just want to make mention of this book, Daryl Johnson's book on the Lord's Prayer, which is where I got the title. Because it's been incredibly helpful to me as I've been preparing for this series and delivering this series, but specifically for this evening, as I'm trying to consider this idea of the Lord's Prayer being a gift to us. And obviously at this time of year when we're thinking a lot about gifts, I think this is incredibly relevant. But to start with, in this prayer, Jesus gives us the gift of identity. You see, the moment we say or pray the first two words, the moment you say the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, you're confronted with your new identity. Our Father. In other words, we're children. We're not just creatures. We're not just servants, although we are. We are sons and daughters of the God of this universe. That is who we are. Time and time again throughout the Gospels, Jesus referred to God as his Father. The intimacy of relationship between Jesus and his Father was evident right throughout the pages of the Gospels. And whenever Jesus invites us to follow him, 
Where does he lead us? Where does he take us? Where are we actually following Jesus? Well, someone has said that we're following Jesus into relationship with the Father. And that's why Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. An intimate relationship. Because we are children, sons and daughters of the living God. So every time I pray the Lord's Prayer, I'm immediately reminded of who I am. My identity is clarified. I am a child of the living God. So whenever I'm asked to introduce myself, whenever I go somewhere to speak and someone says, tell us a little bit about yourself, it is always my intention to say this. My name is David, but who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. And I'm a minister of religion. And I think that's the right order it comes in. Who am I? What is my identity? I'm a child of God. And every time I pray the Lord's Prayer, immediately I say the first two words are, Father, I'm reminded of that. Secondly, in this prayer, Jesus gives us the gift of revelation. It's via these words, these 57 words, that we actually discover who God is and what God is like. And there are very few things in life as important as what you think of God. There's probably nothing more important than what you think about God. A. W. Tozer, in his classic book, The Knowledge of the Holy, put it like this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The gravest question before the church is always God himself and the most pretentious, which I understand means significant, fact about any person is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. What you think of God is one of the most important things about you. And so when we say and when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what we are actually doing is we are painting a picture of God. That's what we do when we pray. Because wrapped up in those words is a revelation of the nature and character of God. I love this thought about the Lord's Prayer. That every phrase discloses something about our Father. Every single petition, every single thing we pray in that prayer says something more about who God is and what God is like. That every time we pray it, we remind ourselves and we reaffirm the nature and the character of our God. So for example, hallowed be your name. What does that speak of? It speaks of the holiness of God. So whenever I pray that phrase, I immediately think God is holy. God cares about his reputation. God cares about his honour and so should I. Your kingdom come points to the fact that God is a king. Yes, he's a parent. Yes, he is my father. But he is the king of kings. Your will be done. That confirms to me that God has a plan. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is working out his purposes, not only in our world, but in our lives. And the picture grows. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, that points to the fact that God's a providing God. God meets needs. God cares about what we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. That reveals to me God's a forgiving God. God's a reconciling God. 
A God who tears down barriers. A God who wipes slates clean. A God who cleanses. A God who renews. And the picture grows. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Shows us that God realizes I'm in a battle and he wants to protect us. God is a protector who stands with us, who stands for us. And so whenever Jesus gave us this prayer, he was giving us a gift of revelation, a framework of words that allows us to maintain a big vision of God, a big picture of God. It keeps God in focus. And so when we pray this, we never lose perspective, or we shouldn't lose perspective. We don't diminish God. In fact, we enlarge our vision of God by praying it. Thirdly, Jesus gives us the gift of connection. Do you know, in prayer, and this is one of the incredible things I find about this discipline, in prayer, we have an amazing opportunity and privilege to connect with what God is doing. To partner God. One of the incredible realities of the Christian life is that God chooses to work in the world through the prayers of his children. Blaise Pascal called this, and I think this is a brilliant phrase, the dignity of causality. In other words, and to get your head around this, is really quite mind-blowing, I think. When we pray, we participate in God fulfilling his purposes in this world. And there's a mystery here, and there's a fair and an understandable question to ask, because the question I have whenever I think about this is, would the Father do all that Jesus teaches us to ask him to do if we didn't pray? Think about that. Would the Father do all that Jesus teaches us to ask him to do if we didn't pray? Well, in one hand, the answer is, yes, God would still hallow his name. God would still bring his kingdom. God would still accomplish his will, even if we didn't pray. But on the other hand, the answer is no. He wouldn't do it if we do not pray. Because God has chosen to work in response to our prayers. The classic biblical example of this is found in the Exodus story. We're all familiar with it. The Israelites find themselves fighting this strong, difficult army. And so as Joshua and co. enter the battle, Moses heads for the mountain where he lifts up hands in prayer. And as long as Moses' praying hands are raised, the Israelites are winning. But whenever his hands drop, whenever the praying stops, it seems that the enemy begins to win. So although God is almighty, although God's all wise, although God is absolutely and fully able to work without us, the mystery we have, the mystery we live with, is the fact that God chooses to work through our prayers. He calls us in prayer into a working relationship with him. We have the dignity of causality. So when we pray, God is mobilized. I don't fully understand that. I don't know how I can totally explain that. But when we pray, God is mobilized and things happen. But someone else might say, but is it not just pure coincidence that kingdom things happen when we pray? That's how some people see this. And apparently uh, a sceptical journalist once asked William Temple, who was a former Archbishop of Canterbury from 42 to 44, he said, if answers to prayer are just simply coincidences, surely that's all they are. 
You say you pray and things happen, but it's just a coincidence. Here's how William Temple responded. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. And I love that picture. On Tuesday night, I, I, I went to, and I know Heidi was there as well, I went to the waterfront to, to hear Delirious perform as part of their farewell tour. But one of the, the final songs they sang is a well-known song called History Maker. Here are some of the lyrics. Is it true today? It's a good question to ask us. Is it true today that when people pray, cloudless skies will break, kings and queens will shake? Yes, it's true, and I believe it. And the question is, do I? Like, honestly, do I actually believe that prayer makes a difference? Do I actually believe that when I pray, I enter into partnership with God to accomplish his purposes in this world and in my life? In prayer, and in the Lord's Prayer, we have this amazing gift of connecting with God. Connecting with what he's doing in our world at this time. And so the real movers, the real shakers of history, are those who pray the Lord's Prayer. And as I said earlier, one of the problems we have with prayer sometimes is, am I praying for the right things? How do I know that this is what God wants? Well, as I said earlier, when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, we've no doubt that when we pray those petitions, that's exactly what God is passionate about. That his name is honoured. That his kingdom comes. That his will is done. That people are provided for. That people find forgiveness. That people forgive others. That people are protected from temptation and delivered from the evil one. And so when you pray that, you know that you're joining with God and fulfilling his purposes in this world. And finally, in this prayer, Jesus gives us the gift of himself. This prayer, although given by Jesus, also points us to Jesus. Because one of the fascinating discoveries about this prayer is that Jesus himself is the answer to each of the petitions. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in all six petitions, the answer is Jesus. At one level, at a certain level. So, Father, hallowed be your name. Well, whenever Jesus showed up, what was one of the things he often said? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For example, in John 14. And therefore, in Jesus, we have a perfect reflection or revelation of the nature and the character of God. Your kingdom come. Well, what was one of the first things that Jesus said whenever he was commissioned for ministry? Repent for what? The kingdom of God is at hand. And why was the kingdom of God at hand? It was near because he was near. So Jesus came to establish, to initiate, to inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus embodied kingdom principles. Righteousness, justice, peace. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, a few weeks ago when we were thinking about the different levels of meaning behind that petition, we said that one of the levels of meaning is that Jesus himself said he was the bread of life. So give us today our daily bread. The answer to that is, I need to consume Jesus. Because he actually satisfies the hunger of the soul. 
Forgive us our sins. Again, Jesus is the answer to that prayer because as a result of his ultimate sacrifice, our sin has been, can be erased by his death on the cross. It's the only reason we can find forgiveness. And it's the only reason we can forgive others because as Christ has forgiven us, so we must forgive others. And it's only when we realize how much God has forgiven us in Jesus. Just what a privilege that is. To have the slate wiped clean. To have our sins removed from us as far as the east is from the west. That we can then approach another person and say, listen, I know what you've done to me, but I forgive you. And that's hard. But it's because of Jesus. He's the answer to that prayer. And finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, Jesus is the answer to that because he's modeled it for us. And completely disarmed the power that the evil one has over us through his death on the cross. So when temptation is intense and when the reality of evil stares us in the the face, we just have to look to Jesus. In fact, even the name of Jesus impacts a situation. So when we pray this prayer given to us by Jesus, we discover that at so many levels, the answers to our prayers are all found in him. The person who gives us the prayer is the answer to our prayers. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it encourages us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author, the perfecter of our faith. And something we've got to do constantly as Christians is make sure that our focus is maintained on Christ. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, referred to the Lord's Prayer as remarkably simple, and it is, and yet vastly comprehensive and I, and I hope as we have journeyed through this prayer during the last 8 weeks now that you not only have found it to be yes there is a simplicity to it it's a prayer that I can memorise I do know off by heart but that also you've seen the vast comprehensiveness of this prayer but as we finish I want to make one more comment because the version of the Lord's Prayer that we use doesn't end as it does in Matthew 6. If you have an an NIV Bible and you look at Matthew 6 and where the Lord's Prayer comes in the Sermon on the Mount, the version of the Lord's Prayer that we often pray includes an extra bit. And in fact, if you have an authorised or a King James Version, it includes the extra bit, which none of the modern translations have. And the extra bit is this. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So why do we add that bit? Why did the translators of the King James Version decide to add that bit, even though it wasn't in the very early translations? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. The first is that the early church couldn't quite cope with ending it after the sixth petition. They couldn't quite get their heads round ending that prayer, deliver us from the evil one. That didn't seem like a good place to stop. And so they added and they included this other bit. For yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the reason they did that was because they felt that a final statement needed to be included that confirmed why the prayer can be answered. And this is really interesting. 
So they thought that when you add those words, for yours is the kingdom, in other words, what they were saying, you, God, can make these things happen. Only you can make these things happen. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. If it just finished at this point, there's a sense in which we're left hanging. But because of this point, we go, God, you can do this. And you will do this. And the second reason is that it provides a fitting conclusion. So although there is no real evidence that Jesus prayed those words, or gave those words as part of the model prayer, and they don't appear, as I said, in the very earliest translations of the Bible, they do fit and they do resonate with the rest of the Bible. So let me give you one example. Whenever David prayed at the coronation of his son Solomon, Here's how he ended that particular prayer. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And so whenever the early church read prayers like that, they thought, let's include that bit because that really confirms a blueprint, for in, in a sense, of what way the Bible prayers are ended. And so it does make sense. It seems entirely appropriate to end with that. And that's why so many of us who learnt the Lord's Prayer didn't so much learn it from the Matthew 6 and the NIV, but learnt it from the King James with this extra bit added on. And someone has said this just as they've reflected on it. For the kingdom is yours. You are sovereign over all. You always have been. You always will be. You can do whatever you choose to do. In other words, you can do this, God. And you can do it for the power is yours. You made the world out of nothing. You raised Jesus from the dead. You have the power to fulfill your will. You have the power to provide for our need. You have the power to overcome the evil one. You have the power to forgive sins. And you can do it for yours is the glory. Glory stands for all that makes you, you. All that makes you sovereign. All that makes you the powerful God you are. Infinite resources are yours. You can do all and more than we dare to imagine. Only you, Father, can do this. And therefore, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so as we leave this series, my hope and prayer is we will never leave this prayer. We will never leave these words. That we will in fact weave them into the fabric of our prayer lives. I'm not sure if you already do or have done for many, many years. I know I did learn it as a kid. I said it as I said in the very first week. Every single morning in assembly in primary school I said it. See when I left primary school. For years, I'm not sure I ever really said it, apart from the odd particular church service I was at. But what I have rediscovered is just how important this prayer is, this gift of a prayer, this timeless, this perfect, this but this gift of a prayer that Jesus has given to me. And so here's what I want to suggest. Why not, going back to the early church handbook and manual, why not actually pray it? three times a day for a period of time and see what happens.